We go to work, and when we're off, we whine about our day. We sip our cares away, and you can do the same, cause you're in a safe place when you're whining with nurses. You are listening to Storygram Podcast Network. Hosted by Transistor.fm. Hey guys, Sarah here. Uh, before we get started with the show, I just want to let you know that uh, because of the pandemic that we're all currently living in, all of the episodes going forward um, were recorded with Zoom. So the quality of the sound is going to be different than what you normally expect. Also, we recorded these episodes ahead of time. So what you're hearing from us doesn't reflect what's currently going on in the world. Uh, who knows what's going on in the world by the time you hear these. Hopefully we're doing better and getting a grip on this crisis. Uh, anyway, hope you enjoy the show. Cheers. Hello. Hey. Welcome to Whining with Nurses. <laughs> I still don't know how to say that in the rhythmic jingle that you've established. <laughs> Is there one? I think we just kind of... No, there's definitely one. When we used to record with like you and Kat and me, I was like always, I would just mouth the words because I'm like, they've got their own thing going for sure on this. <laughs> That's like what I used to do in church when I didn't know the words to the song. <laughs> My mouth really la- like wide and make it look like I'm singing. Yep. Good call. Well, this is Sarah. And this is Desi. And hi. How's hey, everyone well- doing? Welcome to Whining with Nurses. We're happy to be back at it. I've missed it. I've missed this little uh, mini support system. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Especially this year. Oh my gosh. And it just it just keeps getting worse. Greetings from um, post-apocalyptic wine country. Yes. It's actually just the practice run for the apocalypse. I think the real apocalypse happens in 2021. And this is just like a practice run to see how we all can't cope with it. (laughs) Well, we have wine. Ah, cheers to that. What you drinking over there? Well, I have this lovely bottle of um, Deerfield T-Rex from 2014. Ooh. It's from Deerfield Ranch. And it's it's on um, Highway 12. Uh, heading east from Santa Rosa. Okay, gotcha. Um, And this is a a place that we get wine sometimes and they have like low sulfites and low histamines or no histamines or whatever. So it's good for people who have a hard time tolerating wine. Okay. Like the alcoholic nature of wine or just the like people that are allergic to sulfa, that type of? People who are allergic to sulfa and who are sensitive to the histamines. This is supposed to be... Um, for those people okay and are you one of those people no but i do notice that when i drink this i feel uh less bad the next day (laughs) hey that's the key right there i gotta find me some wine that does that actually it's my uh 2020 tolerance i'm like just pop up the next morning feeling fine (laughs) You built it up, huh? <laughs> I feel like mine is just kind of, um, I've gotten worse. 
And so I find myself drinking less wine lately, which has actually felt pretty good. Um, Yeah, I actually, okay. I feel like this is blasphemy and I should spit in my hand three times or whatever it is that people do when you say a cursed word, but I almost got sick of wine this (gasps) year. I know. Okay, this is over. How can we have a podcast about whining with nurses without <laughs> wine? It's in the name, you you fool. Don't worry. I'm I'm back came back around. I love wine still. Good. I just I somebody think... knocked some sense into you. <laughs> the first half of the year though, it's just a lot of drinking going on. And I was like, are we just gonna drink wine every night? And then I, you know, took a little break. Uh, switched it up to beer a little bit in the summer, and now here we go. I'm gonna open this bottle. Oh, that was a nice sound. <laughs> I actually, a couple like maybe a month and a half ago, I did. I meant to t- talk to you about it, but I did uh, like veganism uh-huh. for like two and a half weeks, and I, it was great. I mean, it's, it's like I bummed. I felt so good because I love cheese and. <laughs> everything that goes along with that. So, but ever since then, um, I do like, I have like two glasses of wine and I'm like, this one spritzer man goes right to your head. <laughs> Well, what are yeah. you drinking over there? I am drinking some 2018 Harold Cabernet Sauvignon Rosé. Mm. Um, it's pretty good. It's, I'm, you know, I always like touted myself as somebody who didn't like rosés, but I think it's becoming like less of a like a fad varietal, even though it's mm-hmm. technically not a varietal, but less of like a fad varietal and more of like there's some more complex rosés coming out and this is one of them. Yeah, rosé of cab sounds sounds better than other rosés might be. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm enjoying it, so um, yeah. Cool. Um, this is quite tasty. I feel like I opened it at just the right time. Uh, it's like you know how when the color when wines are red wines are aged and if you let them go too long, they start to turn that kind of rust. Mhm. Uh, color and this looks like it's just on the borderline it's not rust colored yet but it's about to and it's you so- said it was 2014 or 2009 2014 okay i don't know where my 2009 came in i don't know but it's a blend of sangiovese um merlot malbec cabernet zinfandel cab franc and petite verdot and um oh my yeah. god they're just like put it all in there whatever's left yeah it's just like really well balanced. It's rich, but it's not um, too tannic. It's just really smooth and it's kind of chocolatey or something, but not overly chocolate. Like it's just got, you know, some nice, uh, not smokiness to it, but just depth. Gotcha. Nice. I'll have to try some of that. I uh, love wine again. There it is. <laughs> you listen to the passion in your voice. I can tell you're really authentic in your description of that. Uh, yeah, this one's, this, uh, rosé, I'd say, 
I mean, I've only had a few sips, but it has like a sweetness to it without it being really sweet, which I like. Hmm. Yeah. Yes, I agree. So, so yeah. this uh, last few months have been pretty eventful for us, right? Oh boy. Yeah. Oh boy. Not in a good way, really. Right. Um, so shall we just catch up everyone on the little news and then get into our uh, crappy news? <laughs> yeah, let's, let's do it. Let's give a little, how's, what's, what's up with Sarah lately? Um, well, so Winding with Nurses, we're now a part of the Storygram podcast network. Um, yay for us. <laughs> Somebody uh, appreciates so our talent. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, just, that's a collection of podcasts from Wine Country, and it's hosted by Transistor FM. Um, we'll tell you guys more about the other podcasts. It's just kind of getting up and running, but that's like our new um, kind of adventure. Exciting news. Yeah. And how did, because uh, you've been the one working this whole thing. Um, we're fortunate to have Sarah who like is responsible and has a good mind for podcasting, I guess. But I, cause, so I don't know how this even all came about. Okay, so actually, um, you know how we kind of got into a slump with recording because this year sucks and no, was anyone motivated? No. Nope. Uh, but you know who was motivated? Takeshi. Takeshi! <laughs> he kept saying you should keep recording. You know, there's you guys have a, a pretty big listener base and people are asking on, you know, social media. And then he was telling me about this new project, which is, um, so Lisa Pidge from The Last Seller, um, who used to, that's where we used to record. And they kind of encouraged us to even get this podcast started in the first place. She and Takeshi did. So Lisa is, um, uh, oh, I don't know exactly what her role is in Storygram Podcast Network, but she's the one bringing it all together in conjunction with Takeshi and then another person named um, Daedalus. And I'll have to give you guys more details on these people and their roles as I figure them out. Because there's even like words I'm not sure what they mean. So I don't know how to talk about it yet, but they, <laughs> they kind of got, it got, uh, encouraged us to keep recording and like stick with it and, you know, did get in, into this project. So yeah, I'm stoked. Yeah. That's super idea. exciting. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, I've really missed it. I mean, um, I think we, we had a really good thing going and life just kind of got busy. So oh, yeah. we can give ourselves a break on that, but I'm, I'm glad we're getting back into it. I think we have, you know, I think it's just always good to have uh, a, something that's a little, it's not sugar coated, you know, we're kind of meant for nurses and the healthcare professionals. And uh, it's nice to have shared experiences when it comes to this type of occupation. Totally. This is real life. <laughs> Ugh. I want fake life. <laughs> Do you want to um, share the good news? My good, good. Oh yeah. I. Oh, you do it. No, you do it. Okay. So everybody, you guys were kind of on the journey with us. Um, we missed a really important part of the conception of this journey, <laughs> but I think that's for the best. We wanted to congratulate our lovely cat and her husband, Carter. They had a baby and it's really cute. <laughs> Little Cora Charlotte. Um, so cats, cats on maternity leave from podcasting. 
Um, <laughs> we have great like family benefits like that here at Winding with Nurses. <laughs> you can take as much time off as you need. We'll hold your job for you until you come back or indefinitely. Yeah. But come back, please. We miss yeah. you. <laughs> and we want to see baby. Little I, know. I love that name. I, uh, I am a little, I think, I wonder cause, uh, there's a, well, anyways, it's a unique name, but I have a, a reference to it and I'm wondering if that's what they were referencing. So I'll have to ask them. Hmm. It is a unique name. I like it. It's not, it's, uh, it's a little unusual. Like I don't know anyone named Cora that I can think of offhand. I had one patient named Cora and I was like, oh, I just love her name. And she was real feisty and sassy, which clicks with me real well. So we, we're t- she was a hoot. So yeah, anyways, congratulations, Kat. We're so happy for you. We know you were, she, I mean, she was talking about that for a long time in, in our um, podcasting. And yeah, she was pregnant for like almost nine months, it seems like a really long time. <laughs> Yeah, so I guess some people have them Stop in there longer. Just like had the baby already. Just get it over with. <laughs> <laughs> so we now have two podcast babies. We do, and another on the way. Jen's uh, expecting. And what? Girl, I know. I actually don't know if you realize that or not. And I, <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> we haven't announced that either. <laughs> Maybe we did. Maybe Jen did say it. I think she did. Okay, I didn't. I missed that. That's exciting. Yeah. Man, Just we're a prolific fun. podcast. Totally. Very fertile. Get <laughs> down over here. <laughs> Everything's closed. <laughs> uh, well, I kind of had a baby, a, a baby puppy. Yes. yes. His name, he's a little corgi baby. He's nine weeks old. And his name is Sully, and he's perfect and the bright and shining light of my life right now. Ah, he's so cute. Uh, How did you pick the name? Ryan wanted to know. Um, His full name is actually Sultan, which... There has to be a story. I know. (laughs) (laughs) It's really not even a story, but okay, so... uh, we, we got a corgi and I was looking at pictures and their little stubby legs reminded me of the like Ottoman chair um, character in Beauty and the Beast. Do you know that? Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, and it's a dog in the story. And so I looked up on Google, like what that character's name is and his name is Sultan. And what? yeah, I know. I was like, that's so random because it that's has like a an, name. Yeah. And, and like, Beating the Beast is a French story, but Sultan is an Arabic word, mm-hmm. I think. Don't – maybe fact check me on that. I'm not sure. Latin, so it's probably right? true. Yeah, and it means little king. Well, it just means king, but I add the little king. Um, <laughs> and so anyways, and then Sully, I mean, like Sultan's kind of a big name for such a little baby dog right now. So he's so cute. He is so cute. I just gave him his first bath. He's all fluffy and he knows how to sit. So big things are happening over here. <laughs> so you're a corgi person now. Have we talked about this? Corgi people? No, but you know I'm actually not a corgi person. Well, now you are. Well, so... 
Kool-Aid. Didn't they um, give you that Kool-Aid? Maybe it's yeah, like they made me drink something. Soda. Yeah, we had to go to this like masquerade meeting, and yeah, it was really weird. <laughs> no, so, yes. So my sister-in-law, who I live with, we have a house together. It's a duplex thing. It's a long story, but anyways, we got this dog together because she, we can't. We can't be responsible enough to have a dog all by ourselves, but if we share a dog, it suddenly becomes possible, and she's always, 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 always wanted a corgi, and I just really wanted a dog, so I was like, okay, we can get a corgi, but I want to pick the, the, like, color markings, and so I got, he looks like a little, like, baby Australian shepherd right now. He really does. He looks a lot like um, Ryan's mom's puppy or dog when she was a puppy that's why i thought she was a mini aunt or he was a mini aussie but mm-hmm. but his body shape you're right it's totally corgi he's just like a little loaf of bread yeah <laughs> with legs that's so exciting yeah i'm i uh definitely am glad it's a puppy and not a baby because it's so much work i keep thinking of cat and like what her, she must be going through with a baby you know yeah yeah. <laughs> Not it. I mean, they're so cute, but my gosh, it's a lot of work. Yeah. I did talk to her recently. She was like, yeah, everything's going great, but she's still really fussy through the night and cat just like not sleeping. And she said, fortunately, I'm used to that from all these years having diabetes and waking up in the middle of the night, to check my blood sugar. So <laughs> <laughs> she has been trained. Yeah. I said, just sleep when the baby sleeps. I always hear people say that, and it's like <laughs> BS. <laughs> I don't even have a kid, and I can tell you that. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited to see the little the little girl, little Cora. Yeah. Um, well, I did a podcast recently. This is someone that um, Takeshi introduced me to, not in person, because nobody can meet in person lately because of COVID. But anyway, um, someone that he records for, uh, her name's Laura Lee Rourke, and she does this podcast called It's Not About Food podcast. And it's, he said it's a body positivity podcast. And I was like, oh, we all need some of that. Um, and she says her description is it's about learning how to love and accept the body that you have, relearn how to eat intuitively and know how to take care of your emotions, which I'm all about that. And she sent me these, this pack of cards that are called body love cards. And you're supposed to, if you just have the cards and you're not doing the podcast, you're supposed to pick one every day. You put them all in a bowl, you pick one every day and you read what it is. And they have these statements just for today. I'm going to X, Y, Z. And so for the podcast, she wanted me to pick one and focus on that. And I picked boundaries because we all need them. And um, some, it's hard to have them sometimes. Oh yeah. That spoke to me, but the cards I've been using them and like reading them to my coworkers at the office each day we pick one and it's like, Oh my God, it makes you feel so good. Oh, that's nice to like try to like, uh, what is it? A uh, purposeful focus on po- positivity. Yeah. That's so hard these days, man. Kudos. It is. And like the, um, I feel like the, the cards are really great. And I was, picking one out every day before I did her podcast. So if anyone listens to her podcast, if you want to hear it, go to lauraleerourke.com. It's L-A-U-R-A, nope, L-A-U-R-E-L-E-E-R-O-A-R-K.com. Or you can just Google, it's not about food podcast. 
And if I sound really self-righteous uh, on the podcast. It's because you are. <laughs> I'm oh. glad you brought that up, actually. <laughs> just- no, it's I was in a really good place, like, thanks to her cards. So just be freaking happy for me. <laughs> Ugh, okay. I was loving my body at the time. I'm like, yeah. Man, you are like, one hot thing. Girl. All my friends talk bad about their bodies, and I don't know what to say to them because they're just, like, so beautiful, and I don't even know what to say anymore, as if I never do that. I do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the high, high, high of confidence. It's amazing. <laughs> I was in that for a while. I was like... Throughout the COVID journey, I was doing, like, instead of, all right, oh, I'm having a hard time with words. Too bad I need them for this. <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so instead of, like, dealing with the emotional stra- strain of what COVID has put us all through, I was like, I'm going to put, like, compartmentalize and put all my emotions in a box, and I'm going to focus on, like, physical health. So I was like running every day. I was eating really well. I was just like doing yoga and feeling great. And oh my gosh, the like endorphin high of confidence is such a wonderful place to be. Mm-hmm. It was good for a while. And then cheese happened, you know, <laughs> and it kind of spiraled from there. <laughs> now I'm in some men's sweatpants right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, cheese happened. Oh, God, does it ever. Thank goodness. Let's see. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, well, that's, I mean, yeah, that's an awesome podcast. How'd you get linked up with that? Takeshi. Yeah, oh. he was there recording with her. And it was cool because I got to see him on Zoom, which I haven't even seen Takeshi on Zoom anytime recently. So Does he look really different? No, he looks the same. <laughs> it doesn't age, so that checks out. He doesn't, and his hair stays the same. I'm like, who's getting, who's cutting your hair during these uh, COVID times? I did my own haircut this week. Cut my cute. own hair. Thanks. Whoa! Thankfully, it's curly because you can mess up and nobody knows. Yeah, curls hide a multitude of sins. Mm-hmm. My hair, I decided. <laughs> There's all kinds of sins up there. <laughs> I decided I'm letting my hair grow the whole year and then I'm going to cut it at the end of the year and hopefully cut off all the trauma. I hope it's all stored uh, there. That, yep. That's probably where it is. And you could just chop it off, get rid I'm, of it. I'm sure I could find like some scientific study based on that hypothesis. I'm sure you could. You can you find can. anything on Google these days. You can. <laughs> all right. So speaking of Google and... Um, you ready to jump into our topic today? Yes. Okay. So Sarah shot me a text message. Um, we were just like loosely brainstorming. And um, we are on the West Coast here are all going through wild wildfires. Wild wildfires, right? Yeah. For the fourth year in a row. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's, a thing. it's a thing every year now, apparently. I don't remember this happening like, you know, 15 years ago. I'm sure it might have been um, a thing that happens every once in a while, but nothing like this. It's been brutal. And uh, I think, were you evacuated or were you on like standby for evacuation? I was on standby. So um, I was, uh, hopefully it's okay to go ahead and say this now, but my last 
it was like a Wednesday was the last day that I worked at our hospital. And right at the end of the shift, they were about to evacuate the hospital and they were asking people to stay over. And I was like, uh, I would like to stay and help, but I had to work at my other job the next day. And also in my hometown, um, or where I live now that we were possibly going to be evacuated. And so I just thinking I should probably just go home and help Ryan and who knows what's going to happen. And as soon as I got home, we got an evacuation warning. And then, so we packed everything up and got ready, but we just stayed in the warning zone for a week. So we never actually had to evacuate, thankfully, but we were prepared. Good, good, man. It's, isn't it like, it's like this weird dichotomy of, of time being on hold throughout those experiences, but also like you feel like you're losing so much time. Like, yeah. you know, like I lost 10 days being evacuated of just waiting for a Nixel text to come through. Yeah, it's weird. It's like life just stops. But yeah, it keeps going on and you feel like, yeah, I know. Yeah, exactly a lot like, like time wasted. Yeah, it's so very stressful. Me- what happened with you? Cause I know you had a, a different experience. Yeah. So, um, we, I worked Tuesday night, so I got off that Wednesday and the fires were ramping up. I remember us like looking at different pictures people got of the flames from different vantage points. And so I slept a little bit that Wednesday and then I woke up, you know, honestly at this stage in the game, four years into this, like, established fire season my threshold for like panic is really high so i was just like i'll have pour my glass of wine and make some raviolis you know maybe play some card games with my family just it's like this weird like like childlike sense of thrill almost and so, but, day almost like oh we're about to have a blizzard let's all hunker down and like yeah yeah yeah, it's just like you kind of make the best of the moment. But and then we we did get the mandatory evacuation order it came through at I don't know, maybe 6:30 that night. Um and so we were at my parents, so we all got in the car and rushed back up the hill um to where I live in Anglin and um packed up. It was funny like the 3 days earlier my sister-in-law was like, "We really need to like get a like a fire kit ready in case we need to evacuate this year and we had we got everything sitting by the door we're like oh all right we're done important papers you know some clothes and whatnot we got all of our four cats Mm -hmm. in the car and we were planning to go to my parents house which is um just like you know halfway down the mountain um but then they got evacuated too and they packed up in their motorhome and headed out. And so we were like kind of panicked for a moment. Like, where are we going to go? You know, we really didn't have any other options. We could, um, we were going to go stay on one of my brother's boats, but somebody was already staying on it and yada, yada, yada. So this is what I love about um, the type of bonds you create in the nursing field because they're so like intense and, and lasting. One of my coworkers was like, hey, I'm out of town right now. Go ahead and go to my house. You guys can stay there as long as you need. Bring the cats. Don't worry about anything. When I come home, I will stay at my grandma's and you guys just, you know, be as comfortable as you can. Uh, it was like, crank up the AC, watch some trashy television and just try to relax. 
And yeah, I was like, she, I mean, shout out to Taylor for coming through like that because we, it was, I mean, in such a terrible situation, um, that place, her little tiny, tiny house was perfect. Oh my God. That's so nice. Yay, Taylor. Yay, Taylor. Awesome. So um, we were there for, I think it was like nine days we were evacuated and life was on hold. We, I got addicted to trashy television, a show called Below Deck. Oh yeah, I watch that on planes sometimes. It's so funny. It's so great. Oh my gosh. I got so invested in the show though. It was a little concerning. Um, and <laughs> nine days of none of us really working and it, it was three of us. It was me, my sister-in-law, and my brother, and then our four cats in about 600 square feet for nine days. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did so well on the last day. Like, tensions kind of rose a little bit, but understandably. So, um, yeah, we were finally right. We, we pretty much knew throughout, at least after the second day, that our house was okay and you know, unless like the sh- wind shifted a, a crap load, then our house was, was going to be fine. So that was the experience I did that night. I, I had already had like maybe a glass or two of wine and when we got the evacuation order. And so, but I texted my boss and the supervisor and just said, Hey, I'm available. If like you need somebody to come to the hospital, cause we were being evacuated. The hospital was Mm-hmm. So, um, but they said, actually, please don't come. Like we're having heart, uh, trouble enough keeping track of everything. And I think there was a, t- I want, this is a number that's unofficial. I just remember seeing it somewhere in texts or emails that like by the time you left, like we had a pretty low census. I want to say 52 patients were evacuated. Yeah. yeah. Um, including a fresh um, like bypass or valve replacement that ended up having to be taken via ambulance with an impella or with an ECMO or a balloon pump. Maybe I think it was a balloon pump oh. <laughs> to um, one of the San Francisco hospitals. Wow. Yeah. So it was, and on top of that, I guess we've learned the hard lesson when um, one of the uh, hospitals within the network was evacuated and shut down. If you officially like close the hospital, the reopening um, process is so extensive. You have to have like all these different um, regulatory agencies come through and recheck things. And in an evacuation, you think, oh my gosh, things are rushed. Like we're trying to get these patients out safely. That's the focus, um, obviously. But with these regulatory agencies that come in, they are looking at potential HIPAA violations, like things being left out in the nurse's station, like a, a report sheet. They're looking at equipment being obviously up to date and sterilized. So the ICU nurses that were on that night not only had to evacuate patients, they had to like clean and cover every piece of equipment in the ICU. What? And so they didn't officially evacuate till like 4.30 in the morning. Oh my God. Yeah. But they did like such an awesome job because we, uh, at the other hospital when it um, closed, they didn't do any of that stuff. So it took like six to eight weeks to reopen. Whereas once we were, the evacuation order was lifted at our hospital, it took, I think two days. 
So wait, which other hospital, was it the one that's in the same county that everyone ended up going to? Got it no, back no, it was from a couple years back, a different fire. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Gosh, so, oh yeah, no, in, in this county over here, the neighboring county, right? No. Like, okay, anyway. We'll but, talk, yeah. yeah. But yeah. so we were, yeah, it was just like, I mean, you think, again, you're focused on, you know, the the rush of getting patients out safely, but to have all this other stuff go into it to be able to open up, reopen fairly painlessly. It was, I was like, oh my gosh, I, it really made me appreciate admi administration for having the forethought to not officially close the hospital, but to keep things at a baseline of operation so that we could all get back to work, you know? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's, uh, it's just nuts. So like, um, yeah, just actually having a hospital evacuate. You wouldn't, I wouldn't even consider those things because when, uh, we were leaving at the end of that day, I guess it didn't really feel like danger was imminent, but if you're evacuating, then there's the thought about, well, this whole place could burn down. And so I wouldn't have even thought, let's stick around and make sure everything's clean and the documents are in order, you know? Yeah. It just seems more like, if we're at the point where a hospital has to evacuate, then we need to get everyone out as soon as possible, including the staff, obviously, you know? Yeah. Anyway. I think, I think um, so what I wanted to shift into talking about, we'll, we'll hit on some of these points, but I think what, um, I think Hurricane Katrina, we're gonna be talking about that in a minute. I think what was learned in that experience in the healthcare community really shaped the way a lot of policies and procedures are made now for any hospital evacuations. I don't know that for certain, but I can see like the correlation. Um, wow. Yeah, so, okay, so fair warning everybody. Um, I kind of like jumped into a topic and didn't brief Sarah on it and it's a pretty heavy topic. So- um, Are we going into Bummer Town? Yeah, we are. Um, <laughs> so just, for it. <laughs> it's, it's just like, you know, I think it's a, especially given the, the frequency and the severity of these types of like natural disasters that are going on throughout the country. I mean, it's something that I think healthcare is obviously impacted by not only in like patients that are hurt and wounded or sick coming in as a result of those um, natural crises, I guess, but what if like our hospital, what if our hospital is a victim of it, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, okay, let me shift over to my little PowerPoint, or not PowerPoint, but Word document here. Okay, so Hurricane Katrina, um, I got a lot of this information from Sherry Fink's article called The Deadly Choices at Memorial. It was published in the New York Times. And the, uh, Memorial Medical Center was a hospital in uptown New Orleans that was basically um, stranded and marooned as the, um, like severity of Hurricane Katrina took over because it's three feet below sea level in, a, in New Orleans. And so the entire surrounding areas was flooded with like sewage water and trash filled water. Ugh. And so evacuations happened over, um, I think, 96 hours and most of the evacuations took place by boats coming in either like volunteer boats from like the i can't think of it like the marshes you know those speed boats not speed boats but anyways like volunteer people that were 
swamp boats? Yes, swamp boats coming in or medical personnel commandeering boats that were left behind in the neighborhoods. What? Yeah, or um, obviously helicopters. And so um, just to set the scene here, okay, this hospital had um, 187 patients when the hurricane hit. And again, this is not 100% like super clean, neat facts, but it's to paint a picture. My numbers might be skewed a little bit, but 187 patients. um, And it was like 600 staff, I want to say, that had come to the hospital to take shelter and to help out. And um, within the, when at 48 hours about, they had a complete power outage, meaning even their backup generators were flooded. And anybody, (laughs) yeah, anybody that was on a ventilator, um, was, had to be hand bagged and suddenly, um, you know, the command center, you know, I mean, I think every hospital has like an emergency command center and people who are in charge of emergency disaster planning and all this, but it's all theoretical. And until you're involved in a situation like that, you don't know what the problem is going to be. And, um, one of the biggest problems for this, um, as far as like ethics go, is a the the method of triage that they were going to prioritize patient evacuations, and b there was a unit within the hospital called like life care, and it was for patients that like needed extended medical care related, you know, like people with AC, a, ALS that required a vent. Or so like an LTAC kind of. Yeah, similar to an LTAC, I think, from, from what I could gather. Mm-hmm. And that, ho- that unit actually was independent of the hospital as a whole. It had its own staff, its own administration. It's, um, I th- it might even had its own like billing department and everything. It was, it was a hospital within a hospital. And so the communication between Memorial's administration and disaster planning committee and that um, unit was was segmented a lot there wasn't clear communication and so a lot of people um i think a lot of the deaths that occurred were from this unit and so um they ended up triaging patients and putting them into groups ones twos and threes ones are people who could sit in a wheelchair or walk and be rescued via mostly via boat twos were people who had to be on a stretcher and um, escorted to the helipad. And they had this weird like mechanical door that was a shortcut to the elevator, I'm, I'm sorry, to the, um, to the helipad that they had to like pass through. So it was a small like little door. And then threes were people, they made an early call and I don't think they realized the, the impact of this decision that anybody with a DNR order was to be labeled as a level three and they would be evacuated last. Oh. So, yeah. Um, I'm freaked out already. Yeah, like, I mean, hang yeah. on. <laughs> I know, I'm take a breather. Boats. I can't even imagine. And you're getting on a boat that's probably exposed to open air and you're a patient and you're being evacuated that way. It just blows my mind. And looters were ransacking the streets surrounding the hospital with guns and attacking security guards and they actually had to have the National Guard come in at one point and secure the entrances of the hospital to protect, you know, uh, the supplies that were in the hospital. And on 
they were actually pressuring the hospital administration and staff to evacuate people faster and like put a cutoff date because they said we're pulling the guards at 5 p.m. on the fourth, I think it was the third or fourth day, um, we will no longer be able to guard your entrances. And meanwhile, there's no power. They're having to take patients down several flights of stairs in the dark. <sighs> they're, um, they're having- okay, hang on. Can I say something about that? Yeah. The very first place I ever worked, it was a military hospital and we um, actually did like a fire drill basically, or, or, or you know, an evacuation drill. And they were like, yeah, you're going to have to put your patients on these things. They're actually underneath all of the mattresses on the beds. And you might have to pull them down the stairs on these. And I just was thinking, this is never going to happen. Can you imagine us actually dragging patients on mattresses down the stairs? No. No. And then I've never done that in any hospital ever since. I've never I hope we never have to. Wow. Someone yeah. actually had to do that. Yeah. They were stranded there. I mean, and it was for three days, nurses and doctors were stranded. You know, you can't abandon your patient. You're stuck there. You're, you have limited resources. It's like a sweltering hundred degrees. Patients are profusely sweating and lined up in hallways, you know, this is a bizarre story. Keep it is. Okay. And it's true. I mean, this happened. Um, Okay, so a, a really big controversy came up as a result of the events of this, um, this real-life case study. And the controversy was that um, two in protect, particular really well-regarded doctors and a couple well-respected nurses uh, ended up administering high doses of morphine and versed to patients that were level threes Ooh. and the controversy is you know technically they hastened their death yeah but in a situ and so the two doctors one one of the doctors that that w faced a lot of heat and backlash her name was anna powell um and she was kind of inadvertently assigned to be the head honcho of the triage area for the three group and um can you put that on your resume head honcho <laughs> head honcho <laughs> yeah so um she That's faced she she actually was um let's see she was i want to say obviously she was sued and there's still several cases in court in regards to the events that happened in the, this like 72 to 96 hour period but um she um, the grand jury of Louisiana didn't indict her. And she's actually become a huge advocate for the medical community and medical personnel to change the standards of care when these crises come into play. Because in, you know, standard conditions, obviously do no harm. Do right. like, obviously you can't administer lethal doses of these medications, but uh, one particular case study was there was a patient who had been essentially sh shifted to comfort care, was on a morphine drip uh, over like the first two days of the, the hurricane. And one of the doctors that uh, was super well-respected um, was came through and did a round and said, like, can you give him a big dose of it, please? Mm -hmm. And essentially saying, like, you know, please allow them to to pass peacefully yeah. Right. You know, yeah. 
And yeah. I, it's so hard to say it. I, it's hard to even like, I want to be blunt about it, but it feels so wrong to even say it, you know? Um, so she, this girl, Anna Pausch, Dr. Anna Powell, um, she maintains her position that her role throughout the entire situation was to help patients through their pain. And the way she did that included the morphine and Versed. Um, and in the, like several years since, she's helped write and pass three laws in Louisiana that help offer immunity to healthcare professionals in most civil lawsuits in these types of uh, medical emergencies. Um, so let me just be like, I don't know if you know the answer to this, because I, uh, for one, I'm not judging her. I feel like I'm probably on her side with this because if I was the patient and it's choice of like drowning to death or some being crushed to death under a building or who knows or how you might suffering die. through hundred degree sweltering heat in a hallway yeah. for three days yeah. waiting to be evacuated. Or having a bunch of morphine, which is probably delightful at yeah. best, and maybe you don't even know what's going on at worst. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how I maybe hope to die anyway, is like delight or not knowing what's going on. And um, so I feel like I totally see her point of this. But so was the reason because they didn't see any hope of evacuating these people or like, uh, you know, yeah, what, what, were they not going to get them out? Were they going to be doomed if they were left behind to have to keep evacuating? Like, what was going to happen if they didn't? So I, I think the it was a balance between they had very limited resources. Hmm. They had um, vi- very sick people. And even in the best, for not everybody, because I, I was reading this article and, you know, Initially, I'm like, so for them or for these doctors and nurses that had to make these hard decisions and I'm so supportive of them. And then to read the anecdotal patient by patient cases of, you know, like one of the patients in that life care unit was, he was like, had, I want to say colon cancer and was getting work on his colostomy done. And he was like 383 pounds, but he was a lively part of his family and he was, you know, a a person that could function in daily life, you know, and I believe he was somebody that ended up dying because they couldn't get him evacuated in time. And that DNR, DNI and was, yeah, no, actually he didn't have a DNR, DNI, but just because of his like, anyways. So I think it was a balance between having such limited supplies and then having these people that even in the, in clean hospital conditions were at risk for dying yeah. And, and instead of their final, you know, 48 hours, which doesn't sound like you say two days and it doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're suffering, I mean, can you imagine 48 hours of gasping for breath in a hundred degree no. weather sitting in your no. own feces? You know, that's, that's not two days, that's a lifetime. And so I, I think that was a, a big motivator. You see this person struggling to breathe and yeah, it, to give yeah. them some anti-anxiety meds and some pain meds, the nurse's dose version and, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So um, her, her hope is to change the standard of care in medical emergencies and um, to change the thought process of evacuations shouldn't necessarily be the sickest person should leave first because um, it's, it's kind of falls into that moral idea of like, the, the most good for the most amount of people. 
Totally. It's kind of like what we're going through now with COVID and uh, or earlier this year when there was a high demand for ventilators and some hospitals didn't have enough and you have to decide who's going to get them. Well, it doesn't necessarily go to the sickest person because that might be someone who's not very likely to survive and you might want to give it to the person who is sick, not the sickest, but has a chance of a better outcome mm-hmm. if they get the ventilator. So I, yeah. yeah, I got that. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't think there's like a right answer to this, these questions, these scenarios, like they're extreme scenarios, but I think a lot can be learned from, you know, the, what went on in that, in that situation where these people, I mean, you know, it's one thing to think about like, oh, that doc, like what I'm saying when I'm like, oh, you know, even in the best condition, they're, they're going to have struggle to live even in standard conditions of healthcare, they're, they are at risk of dying. Like, I'm saying that real, really cavalier, but somebody has to make that judgment. A doctor and a nur- and the nursing team and the healthcare team have to look at that patient and make that judgment. Mm-hmm. A person, the person, yeah. <laughs> a it's, person has to make a decision about another person. That's like, it's heavy. <laughs> yeah, it's so heavy. But I mean, like, um, so I, I, I wanted to say, like, I brought this to you with no pre you know, pre-preparedness to give you an idea of how to respond to any of these. But I think the answer is, (laughs) let me tell you what my answer is. No, I mean, it's a, it's such a complicated question, but this really did happen, you know? (sighs) Yeah, it is a really complicated issue. Okay. This is going to seem to minimize it. um, And I'm not intending to, but I'm just trying to share maybe a similar thought process. Yeah, go for it. No, it's going to sound so stupid when I say it out loud. Okay. So, (laughs) you know, there's been a lot of crises in the past year and it truly in our world right now doesn't feel too far off from some sort of uh, catastrophe, apocalyptic type scenario. It feels like we could go to war at any minute. It feels like our whole state could be on fire too much to where, you know, the, we can't handle it. Um, there could be an earthquake. There could be a tsunami. Anyway, and um, or there could be terrorism, There, whatever. And so I think about it all the time. I don't know why, but I make Ryan think about it with me and what we do. And we think about we uh, would probably want to kill ourselves in certain situations. And, but we would have to kill our cats first because we wouldn't want to leave them behind to suffer in some post-apocalyptic world. And so anyway, it does, I think, I think it does pay to think about these things ahead of time because we have a pretty good general idea of what we might do in certain circumstances. Yeah. <laughs> calls for extreme decisions like killing the ones you loved and yourself. Oh, oh. wow. That sounds. No, bad. Bad. Well, the funny thing—I mean, to shift this—that doesn't make sense. But a funny thing is, in like January of this year, I was at work, and one of my uh, favorite supervisors—it was just a great crew—was on, and we're—it was a chill night. We're sitting in the nurses' station, and we jokingly started talking about like 
if the apocalypse were to happen and we were stuck at work, like who would we want on shift? And we're like bouncing ideas back and forth of like, well, it'd probably be the telemetry unit and we would take over med surge versus ICU and we'd be trying to get supplies, you know, and we'd really need to come and do the elevator first and all like playing out this crazy scenario. And I was like, yeah, I'd be fine for like, I don't know, maybe a couple days I'd really want to help out and be involved. But if it was like foreseen that it was hopeless, uh, for the most part, you could, I would be willing to be a human sacrifice. <laughs> they were like, what? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, nobody is asking you to do that though. And I was like, I know, but I don't think I'd want to live through much else. <laughs> I do not have like the strength of the human spirit. <laughs> I don't think I do either in certain yeah. some circumstances. Yeah, circum it's circumstantial, obviously. Yeah. What, why do we have to talk about these things? Well, I, I think we it's do. important. I mean, we just went through kind of an evacuation and I think we kind of like absolutely we did. Yeah. I well, I say kind of because I think from this experience, this case study of Katrina, I think and even prior fires in the year, like I think with the uh, the Tublane fire and the evacuation of that Kaiser over there, I um, yeah, that was a late call. Yeah, and I it think was. I think we've learned from that to be aggressive in evacuation orders. Yes, I really uh, appreciated that about our hospital that day because that was that's fresh in my mind. That was only a few years ago. And I had friends that were working at that hospital, um, the Kaiser in Santa Rosa in 2017, when the fires came and they, there were people still in there in the hospital and fire, the building was catching fire on top of it. And I heard horror stories about nurses going up on the roof and trying to put fires out on the roof while they were evacuating patients and people taking patients out in their cars. And there were buses like Greyhound buses or city buses or whatever. Anyway, so the day that um, we, yeah, they were going around all day checking in. How many patients do you have that are like, we were really prepared. They were trying to discharge as many people as they could. We weren't admitting patients. And um, by the end of the day, we were at a minimum census. And right after shift changes, when we got the order that we were being evacuated and it seemed organized and I was really appreciative of that and I felt a little torn and guilty about whether or not I should stay and help um but it seemed to be like handled and I really yes. appreciate that yeah I think they did a really fantastic job and like even I, they paid us our hospital was closed for I guess it was eight days um but they and they paid us full pay straight through for full-time and part-time employees. Um, so our benefits wow. were covered like out of their pocket, you know? And so I think they did an amazing yeah. job, but it, it really reading this article and I've there's actually, I want to say KQED um, radio sto show story about this, that is more in depth and, and just personal hearing the actual people tell the story um, rather than you reading it. It's uh it's something that is worth looking into and thinking about because it's happening. I mean, we just, you never think it's going to happen to you, you know? I mean, I read this and it was yeah. like, 
a movie plot. You, you think it's so separate from you, but then to think about the nurses who had to administer those. They should make a movie about this. I, there is a book that um, Anna Powell wrote. It's called, let me pull it up for you. Um, five Days at Memorial, Life and Death in a Storm-Ravaged Hospital. Um, oh, I'm sorry. It's by the author of the, Sherry Fink, the author of this article. Um, a lot of information is not um, public because of HIPAA and legal, you know, pending legal proceedings. And I think a lot of the staff didn't want to talk about it because can you imagine the trauma? Right. Of, right. I mean, They're you know, probably. not to, I, not to take away at all from the patients and the family members that were going through this and just New Orleans as a whole, but just we're nursing podcasts. So I think naturally the nurses that were on staff that thought they were going in for a regular shift that would get off at seven and ended up being there for four days dealing with like the most extreme conditions yeah oh my god i i want to read this book now <laughs> yeah i know it's 12.99 on kindle <laughs> i hope someone <laughs> makes a movie about it too because i just feel like more people will be aware of it yeah reading's hard <laughs> <laughs> just like talking with me apparently it's very difficult Sometimes. <laughs> so anyways it was a i mean it was a heavy topic today it's not as light and breezy um but I just, uh, two things. I want to cheers to the hospital staff at um, Memorial Hospital in Louisiana, New Orleans. Cheers. cheers to them. And cheers to firefighters and first responders that have been yes. working their asses off to yes. protect their homes. Beautiful. Cheers. <laughs> oh, my God. That was a great story. I mean, it's horrible, but... Uh, you know, but that was really great to just Think hear. About. Thanks yeah. for sharing that. Yeah. yeah, of course, of course. Whew, I feel like my heart was racing. Like I just, I know. And this. I have to be honest, you said reading was hard. I didn't even finish the article. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I got to some, some really dark points and I was like, all right, I get the gist. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So anyways, um, if you guys have any thoughts, any even if they, they go um, con contrary to what our thoughts and opinions were on this, shoot us an email or send us a message on Facebook or Instagram. Our email is www.nurses at gmail.com. And our Facebook and Instagram handle is whining with, oh, whining double, oh, it's different. I'm going to learn that someday. Facebook is whining W nurses and Instagram is whining with nurses. Please. Um, we'd love to hear your opinion and uh, get a, you know, better idea of other people's experiences with these types of uh, evacuations and crises. Yeah. I second that. <laughs> yeah. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Yeah. <laughs>